So we're going to carry on with Acts chapter 7. You remember that they, the Jews want to kill Stephen because he's been saying you don't need to go to the temple because the Lord Jesus is the true temple. And they thought that the temple in Jerusalem, that was the holy space. And he's saying, no, you can worship God anywhere. You don't need to go to your temple. God has a personal relationship with people. And they got so mad about this, these religious Jews, they said, we're going to kill you. And just before they kill him, in Acts chapter 7, he gives this uh, speech where he goes through the history of Israel, which is what we've been looking at the last week in all our meetings. And he points out how actually a lot of these great Jewish fathers, Moses, Abraham, etc., were not actually that totally strong in faith. They were actually quite weak. And he also shows how God appeared to people and had fellowship with people outside of religious structures. So, it's going to be our last session on this, and I'm just going to, let's just start with a word of prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you through the Lord Jesus that we are here before you, before your word, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will open our eyes to your word and to your Son, and that your Spirit, therefore, will speak to us, and that those who have not yet committed themselves to Jesus in baptism will make that commitment, and those of us who have done will be encouraged as we go on in our path towards the life eternal. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, he's, so we got up to the point where he's talking about um, Moses and Israel in the wilderness. He says, this is he, this is Moses, who was in the church in the wilderness um, with the angel which spoke to him in the Mount Sinai. So he says there was a church in the wilderness. You see, he's making the point. God's people had a church in the wilderness. It's about as bizarre as saying there was a, there's a church in a pub in Croydon. Uh, for, for some people, like, oh, no, 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 your church is in a cathedral. No, a church is in a church, you know, like all that stuff. Um, so his first point is, yeah, there was a church in the wilderness. Um, and the angel spoke to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give to us to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. So the Jews rejected Moses. And yet, when you talk to uh, Jewish folks, they're, oh, Moses, Moses, Moses. That Moshe, you know, Moses, he, he's like the greatest pinnacle uh, of everything, even greater than Messiah, in their opinion. But, of course, Stephen's point is, yeah, but you know what? We, as in Israel, we rejected him. We didn't want him. Because he's nudging them to see that actually you rejected and killed Jesus, who was your Messiah, who was the Son of God, and you killed him. You rejected him, just as you did Moses. So this is how God works, nudging people's conscience. And that's exactly how he works with you and me. So it's a case of just surrendering, that I surrender. I surrender totally to God's claim upon me. I surrender totally because I want to live in a good conscience. And thank God that we have a conscience built into us. That beep, beep, that tweak, tweak of conscience, that voice. And follow it. Go God's way. Because otherwise you're going to end up like the Apostle Paul who kicked against the prods of conscience. And, and what a miserable life it is. Like, well, it, 
Stephen says, they said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And they made a calf, a golden calf in those days, and offered sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. So, you see that in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They'd been in Egypt. They'd been in Egypt, and there they'd been persecuted. They were slaves. They were in slave camps. You've probably heard about Auschwitz uh, and the, uh, the labor camps, etc., that were made to destroy the Jews and the Holocaust. Well, this is the kind of thing that they were in, just to destroy them. If, they had a, if the women gave birth to a baby boy, they had to drown the baby in the River Nile, and so on. They were whipped, they were made to make bricks, and then told, well, we're not going to give you any material to make bricks, you've got to find that and produce the same number of bricks, etc. But they wanted out, of course. And so God gave them the way out. The Red Sea opened. There was water both sides of them. And there was a cloud on top of them. And a cloud is just water. And so Paul says they were baptised in the cloud and in the sea. So the whole thing opens up as a kind of parable that Egypt represents the world, We, like them, all of us here, we wouldn't be here unless we had a sense that I want out. I want out of this world. I'm not happy here. I want out. I'm not going to go the flow of Egypt. So, we were led out, and you've got to get baptised when you leave Egypt. But when they came out the other side, they were not in the promised land. They were not in the land of Canaan and Israel and the kingdom of God. They were in the wilderness, in the desert. And that's like with us, after you're baptised, this world is like a wilderness. And our life in the Lord Jesus is like a wilderness journey. But God fed them every day with manna, or bread from heaven, this bread that appeared every day. And if they hadn't eaten that, they would have died. And I suggest that that represents the word of God. That's how the Lord interprets it. That that is the word of God. That's why I encourage people to read the Bible every day. You can get the app on your phone, my one, the Bible Companion or whatever. And then they went on through the wilderness. They were led by an angel, like we're led in this world. But they wanted to go back to Egypt. They said, it's better back in Egypt. The food was nicer. Oh, we remember the leeks, the onions, the fish that we used to eat in in Egypt. Oh, it's much better back there. And there is a tendency in all human beings to think the past is better. To say, as, as Solomon says, the former days were better than these. To imagine that when I was a kid, when I was a young person, life was great. But now life's not very good. And the future as I get older is awful. I'm just going to get old and die and all that. Whereas in Christ it's the other way around. That the past was Egypt, the past was the world, that was awful. These are better days that I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven, and the future is glorious. Everlasting life in God's kingdom. So, they turn back again into Egypt in their hearts. That's the thing, that you can get baptised, but in your heart, turn back. 
to Egypt, turn back to the world. But why do that? Who wants to go back to all that stuff? But I'm afraid we are all very conservative people. We may think, oh no, I'm a very liberated, uh, progressive thinking person. But no, actually we all tend to prefer the old and familiar. Let me go back to what I'm used to. Even if it was rubbish, I'll go back to it. Whereas the life of the Spirit, the life energised by God's guidance, by His Spirit, is quite the opposite. That we are being led away from that forward to eternity, to spiritual things. Not going back to Egypt. It's the saddest thing when folks come get baptised and then up, they disappear and the next thing you do, you, you hear that, they slip right back, etc. It's so sad. But that's like Israel, who came out of Egypt, but oh, we want to go back. We want to go back to that. When you look at it rationally, it doesn't make any sense. But the thing is, we are not very rational people when it comes to spiritual things. That's the trouble. So, they make a golden calf. And even Aaron goes wrong with this. Because they say, we want to have something visible. We want to have an idol. And that's how it is. People want to have something physical and something visible to worship. And to give your whole life for that which you can't physically see. For the man, the Lord Jesus, who died on a cross outside Jerusalem on a day in April, on a Friday afternoon, 2000 whatever years ago. Now, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen God. There is no you know, picture of God up in the sky. Because God wants faith more than anything else, and faith means to trust. That's what God wants. He wants our simple trust in him. That's what he wants. Well, the difficulty is that people try to make a third way. They say, no, I want something visible. I want something that I can see with my eyes. Oh, make us a golden calf. And so he did. And they worshipped it. Now, Moses came down from the mountain and was very angry. And so was God. You see, verse 42, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. He allowed them to do it. He changed. It's as if he was kind of stopping them. But, okay, if that's the way you want to go, then go that way. That's the thing. God will confirm you in the way in which you want to go. You take King Saul. He got jealous against David and an evil spirit from the Lord, we are told, came upon him. He was confirmed in his jealousy complex. But also the Holy Spirit also came upon him and even made him prophesy at least three times. So, In the end, though, God is there to confirm you in the way in which you want to go, but you still have free will. And so you you see this so many times in in life, that the the person struggling to quit alcohol is there in the supermarket and there's a whole wall of alcohol, stuff on special offers, etc., etc. And there the guy sees that, is attracted to it, And it's as if, well, God is trying to lead him away. But if that is the way the guy wants to go, he may think, oh, hang on, I haven't got any money in my pocket. I've got no money on my my card. I can't buy any. Oh, 
How strange, I've suddenly found a fiver in my back pocket. Oh, great. You know, it's like God will encourage you, but God will stop you. He's waiting there to encourage you either way. And I think why it's like that is to show us the degree to which we definitely have free will. And he's not going to force you against your will. But if you say to him, look, Lord, I love you and I want to go your way, but my problem is I'm weak. Oh, that's not a problem. Then, sure, he will confirm you. He will strengthen you in the way that you are to go. And then he says, oh, house of Israel, have you offered to me beasts and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? Yes, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Renfant, figures which you made to worship them. So, yeah, they were offering sacrifices to God every day for 40 years. But God says, did you really do that? Yeah, they did. But did you really worship me with them? It's like saying to a, I don't know, somebody who, who just prays without thinking what they're doing, um, did you really pray? Did you really pray to God just now? And you rattled off some, some words? Do we really believe? We say that, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that I'm saved by his grace. So do you really believe that? Because it's quite possible to, on a surface level, Pray, believe, etc. And love is the biggest one. Are you a loving person? Everyone says, oh yeah, I believe in love. Everybody says that. But do you really? Do you believe in forgiveness? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a very forgiving person. Uh, Really? You really forgive? Your ex or your ex-in-laws or whoever it might be. Yeah. So there, there is the real spirituality, the real prayer. For example, the real sacrifice and then the, the appearance of religion. And that is exactly what Stephen is getting at. That did you really offer sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? Did you really? He says, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Renfad. So there they were in Egypt, wanting out, and yet they carried with them the idols of Egypt. They took, they they not only carried the tabernacle of God, of Yahweh, through the wilderness, they also carried the tabernacle of Moloch. Each tribe had a standard that they used to carry, but they also carried this sort of standard, this star of their god, Remphan. And that's always been the problem of God's people, of Israel, of the church, or whatever, of us as individuals, to say that, yes, I believe, but I want to take with me my idols. Israel never became atheists. The Jewish people never said, ah, we don't believe in God no more. No, no. They were very, uh, very fussy about believing in God and about believing in their temple. Oh, yeah, very much. But they also had their idols. And this is the case with all of us, that, yeah, I believe, but I also have my idols. Now, of course, we don't worship stone and bits of rock and wood and all that stuff. But, I mean, you know what the idols are. Addiction, whatever it might be. Um, when God says, don't, uh, don't worship images. Well, yeah, that's very true now in the Facebook age and the visual age, pornography, 
images of people or images of yourself or, or whatever that this is absolutely relevant this whole thing about idols an idol is anything that you basically put in place of God and so when God says I am one there is no other God that might sound simple do you believe there is one God oh, yeah sure well, the Bible says so but what that means is that you've got no other gods. It means that you've got no other idols that you keep falling back to. That it's only him. You know, when King David says in the Psalms that I love you with my whole heart. That's the idea. With my whole heart. As Jesus put it, with your whole heart, soul and mind. So then they carried, as I say, two tabernacles or like tents through the wilderness. But then it says, well, they settled eventually in the time of uh, David. He found favor with God. He desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. But the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as says the prophet, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? So... David had this idea, oh, wouldn't it be nice to build a temple for God? Because until then, all they had was this tabernacle, which literally means a tent. And God, in that sense, lived in a tent. And so David says, oh, couldn't I just build a, build a house, a physical temple? And God says to him, no. Amen. Thank you. I will build you a house. It's his grace is the other way around. I want to do something for you. No, I don't want that. Oh, let me do something for you. I will build you a house, a play on the word house that can mean a physical, you know, bricks and mortar building, or it can mean a family. And of course, God says, I will build you a house, David. One of your descendants will be my son, the Lord Jesus. And you, and he will reign. Uh, on your throne in, in Jerusalem forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So, David's told no. But David dies, and then Solomon, his son, honor, he so wants to build a temple. And God told David, uh, David look, no, I don't live in physical temples, or please, I, I want to build a temple. Okay, God says, so you can have a temple. But it was not God's ideal desire it's like I'm not physically against physical churches, I'm not telling you to go and smash, smash them up No, sure, you know, a physical church, why not but what I'm saying is that God does not live in that he lives in the human mind or heart because in the Bible the heart is the mind that is where God wants to be with you, not in a physical building Okay, if you insist to have a physical building, well, okay, have it. But I take that as God's kind of making a concession to human weakness. It's like when they said, we want to have a king. God said, no, I'm your king. You're rejecting me. Oh, we want a king. Okay, he says, well, I will give you a king. You can have Saul. So God will make concessions to human weakness. But the problem is, once you use them, it makes your path harder, like it did for Israel when they didn't have a God as their king, they had Saul as their king it's made their path to be his people, very difficult and so it was for the temple yeah okay, God let them have a temple and right up to the end when 
God eventually sent the Babylonians to destroy the temple. Right up to the end, the Jews were praying to God for their temple. They were saying, oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, how we love it. Please don't let the temple be destroyed. And God says, no, it's all going to be destroyed stone by stone. It destroyed the whole thing. So they loved their temple and looked after it. Oh, yes, looked after it very nicely. But were worshipping idols. And you see, this is the difficulty, this is the problem. When you, you try and take the easy way, when you say, I can have a little of both. Okay, yeah, I'm going to worship God, but I'll also worship idols. Yeah, okay, we're not supposed to have a physical temple, but okay, I'll, well, God says we can, oh, yeah, let's have it. See, you make the way harder. The simpler, simpler way is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And that's, that's it. Simple as that. I surrender totally. I don't want a little of both. I'm not trying to be, you know, in with God, in with the idols and all that. So, God says, you know, I own everything. Heaven is my throne. The whole cosmos is where I live. And do you seriously think that by building a house or a cathedral or whatever on this tiny little planet... Do you think that's going to contain me? That I live in the house. No, I don't live in your little house. I live in heaven. But I want to live in your heart, in your mind. Now, it's a lot easier to go to a physical temple, to a physical building, than it is to let the Lord Jesus and God through the Spirit dwell in your mind. Because if I open my mind and let God and Jesus through the Holy Spirit live in me, oh, that's everything gone. I'm totally taken over. It's much easier to say, no, I'm not going to let that happen. But I'll tell you what, instead I will just go to the, uh, I'll go to the temple once, a, to the house, to the church once a week. Yeah, that's, that's easy. It's much easier than letting your whole heart, soul and mind be taken over. And in the parts of Europe, they, they call a church a prayer house, a house of prayer, which has always struck me as a very odd thing to say. Um, does it mean, oh, I need to pray, okay, I'm going to go and walk or get the bus or get the tram to the house of prayer, <coughs> say my prayers and leave the house of prayer. <laughs> you can pray to God anywhere, right? Yeah. You don't have to go to a physical, you know, stones and doors and roof over your head and there you can pray to God God is present everywhere and this has been Stephen's great theme he starts off by saying beginning of this chapter as we saw um, last week the God of glory appeared to Abraham not in the land of Israel but in Mesopotamia what we would call Iraq that he appeared to him outside of Israel God appeared in glory in the, in the burning bush to Moses in the middle of nowhere and God had a church in the wilderness, not in Israel, but out in the desert. So, don't think that your situation or your circumstance is such that, oh, you know, God wouldn't look at me. I am not holy enough. I'm not good enough. No, that is not at all how it is. In fact, quite the other way. So, again, I repeat my offer. If anyone would like to be baptised just simply into the Lord Jesus Christ... We do it at my place in South Croydon here. 
just let me know or spit us. be very happy to take you back home, do the baptism, and then drop you back to Croydon. <coughs> so I see the uh, KFC has arrived. Thank you, Spiros. Let's just, uh, let's just thank God for the uh, food. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your Son and for your desire through him to live in every human heart. And we pray that we might open our hearts and let you come and dwell with us. We thank you, Father, for the food, and we pray that you bless each and every one of us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.